0: at its best. And I pray that after we're done with this whole series of messages that you are inspired to be a church at its best. Those church members there at Thessalonica uh, recognize that they were elected by God. They were chosen by God. They recognize that they were examples, examples for others to follow. They recognize that they were to enthusiastically share the good news of Jesus and Uh, They also recognized that one day uh, Jesus was coming back for them. And I pray that you can identify with the church at Thessalonica in all those ways. But today, Paul begins sharing about servants at their best. Servants at their best. And my question to you is this. Are you one? Are you a servant at your best? By a show of hands, how many here this morning want to see people saved and go to heaven? Keep them up so I can see. All right. That's a good start. Amen. Good deal. Now, uh, by a show of hands, how many people here this morning have to see people saved, and go to heaven. I think we recognize that there is a difference. For many people, servanthood is an acquired taste. How many here this morning enjoy a hot cup of coffee in the morning? Raise your hand. Boom. I was good for two this morning. I'm talking about big ones, amen. But how many of you who raised your hand loved it when you were a little kid? Y'all are sick tickets, amen. <laughs> for most people, the, uh, the taste for coffee came with a maturing of our palate or for the desperate need for caffeine, Amen. But for many Christians, the heart of servanthood toward others doesn't come naturally. It's something that's acquired as we grow in Christian character. I want you to know that while I pray for all of the messages that I share, I have distinctly been praying a little bit differently for this one because I've been asking God primarily for one one thing. I've been asking God... To show us qualities in the Apostle Paul that you and I uh, can use to become a servant at our best. I found over the years that God loves using servants. He loves using people who have that servant heart. And if we will grow... In this attitude of servanthood, we'll find ourselves being used by God for a great many things in the kingdom of heaven. If you would turn with me uh, to 1 Thessalonians in your Bible, that's on page 1048 in the Bibles in front of you. I really would like for you to see this. Uh, so if you'll turn to 1048 in those Bibles in First Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, I want to share with you what Paul says uh, as he describes himself really as a servant at his best. Chapter 2, verse 1, 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to the little church at Thessalonica, and he says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold, bold in our God, to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have been making demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become so dear to us for you remember brethren our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you we preached the gospel of god to you you are witnesses and god also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The first quality of a servant at their best is they proclaim the gospel proudly. Notice there in verse 2, Paul said, even after we had suffered and were spitefully treated in Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Even though Paul had been ridiculed, stoned, whipped, chained, imprisoned, persecuted, he still boldly shared the good news that Jesus saves. How many of us would do that despite being so spitefully treated? I got to know. I want to know, how did Paul remain so bold even in spite of harsh treatment and opposition? I probably would have given up. Verse 2 says the answer though, despite the suffering, despite being spitefully treated, he remained bold, here it comes, in God in God the NIV says with the help of our God we dared tell you this good news the NLT says our God gave us the courage to to declare this good news even though we were surrounded by many who opposed us friends listen you don't have to And in all reality, you must not trust in your own abilities to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel. And listen, y'all, when God tells you to do something, he also equips you to do it. Amen? The God we serve is not only the God of the mission, he is the God of the ability. He is not only the source of the mission, he is the source of your ability to fulfill that mission. Romans 1.16, Paul wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Who here this morning is ashamed of the gospel? Amen. Here should be the reason why he continued on, because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. However, I think that you would agree with me, that many times we're afraid to speak out in public. Many times we're afraid that we're going to stick out in public, and so we don't share the good news. When you think about it, man, it sure is easy to not be ashamed when we're here at church, isn't it? Man, I'm never ashamed when I'm amongst y'all. Why? Because I know we all believe the same. It's easy to believe here in church in a full full of Christians uh, to say that we're not ashamed. It takes no courage to speak up for Jesus when you're surrounded by your brothers and sisters in Christ. The true test comes, friends. The true test comes when you're the only Christian in a room full of people who reject Christ. That's the true test of whether you're ashamed or not. That takes true courage. Eddie Rickenbacker said, Courage is doing what you're afraid to do. There ain't no courage if you ain't scared a little bit. Amen? Courage is doing what you're afraid of doing. A servant at his best seeks courage from God to proudly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there is a second quality, and that is this. They perform the ministry purely. Look in verse 3. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, from you or from others. In that little passage of scripture, we find three highlights that Paul shares about this proudly proclaimed good news. First of all, Paul assures them that this message that he has is the genuine article, it's the real deal, it's the genuine gospel. There was no error in it, there was no falsehood in it, it wasn't fake in this message, it was the truth of God. Now, secondly, Paul also assures them that his motives are pure. Again, no falsehood mixed with this message, right? He said, my exhortation doesn't come from deceit, right? I don't have any ulterior motives. I don't have any false reasons for sharing this good news to you. Uh, I'm not a fake. I don't want your money. Paul's not seeking to please men. He wasn't seeking personal gain. He's not seeking praise from men. See, his motives were pure. But thirdly, his methods were above reproach. He wasn't trying to trick them. He wasn't trying to flatter them. He wasn't trying to twist the truth to bring them into Christianity. No, he was telling the truth. He wanted them to know that this good news is the real deal. What I'm sharing with you this morning is real. A lady named Agnes Boyaxio, 18 years old when she became a nun. And for the next 20 years, Agnes taught middle school. And she was kind of defined by her fellow teachers as being very average. Just an average lady teaching school. But in 1946, Agnes felt God calling her to serve the poor people in India. And so Agnes started to India with absolutely nothing. Y'all, she had no home. She had no money. And on the first day of Agnes' ministry in India, she picked up a dying woman in the gutter of the street, partially eaten by rats and ants. And she scooped up that lady, and she took that lady to the hospital, and she insisted that the doctors helped this lady even though they didn't want to. And since then, hundreds of thousands of people have been rescued and taken to facilities for AIDS patients and lepers and uh, all types of orphans. In 1979, Agnes received a Nobel Peace Prize for all of her humanitarian work and has since become, in my estimation, the living image of genuine servanthood. But on September the 5th, 1997, Agnes Boyaxio, also known as Mother Teresa, died. Her death was reported the very next day, which happened to be the same day as Princess Diana's funeral. Television and radio and Newspapers, oh, they covered the life and death of Diana. But hardly a word about Mother Teresa was able to break through. The epitome of Christian servanthood, get this, avoided the spotlight even in death. And I tell you, Mother Teresa was the real deal. Servants at their best are the real deal. They proclaim the gospel proudly and they perform the ministry purely. But there's a third quality about servants at their best. And this one ought to touch home with you like it touched home with me all week long. And that is they practice what they preach publicly. Here we go. The end of verse 6, Paul writes, When we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you as nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but get this, also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor." And toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. Your witnesses, and God also, of how devoutly and how justly and how blamelessly, here it comes, we behaved ourselves among you who believe. To be servants at our best, we have got to learn to live lives that reflect the message we preach. Our lives must reflect the message we preach. Okay, Bill, how does that work? How do you go about reflecting the message of Christ? Well, you do it in at least two ways according to these verses. One is we care for the people we share with. Paul said, we were gentle among you. Get this, just like a nursing mother cherishes or cares for her own children. You see, there's not a single thing, not a single thing that is greater, that will share the gospel faster than you compassionately meeting someone's needs. Caring for someone you're wanting to share with. John Maxwell says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Did you hear that? They don't care how how much of the gospel you know until they know how much you care. What's that mean, Brother Bill? Well, it means this. If we're going to effectively reach people with the gospel, we must first prove to them the sincerity of our love. And when we do that through sacrificial service, then they're going to be receptive to what you've got to say. Until you do that, we'll have no credibility. Not even if our message and our motive and our method is pure. Pure. Here's the way Paul said it in verse 8. So affectionately, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives because you had become so dear to us. Do you hear the love in that verse, y'all? The love that was being manifested through this proclaimer of the gospel. So my question for you this morning is, do we honestly love the people in our community that we want to share the good news with? Do we honestly love them like a mama loves their child? That's how Paul said it was. That he loved those lost people just like a mama cherishes her children. That's a pretty serious love. Would you agree? So to reflect the message we've got to care for those we want to reach. And until we care for those we run or want to reach, they ain't listening. But there's another thing that we must do. To reflect the message of Christ. And that is we have to model the message of our master. Look in verse 10 one more time. You are witnesses and God also. Now that's, that's Permeating right there. Because not only is everybody else watching how you live, but who else is watching? Say it loud. God's watching how you live, amen? You are witnesses, and God also, get this, of how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. My, my, my. the way that we live, the life that we live is going to do one of two things. It's going to turn people on for Jesus or it's going to turn them off for Jesus. I'm asking you to look in the mirror of your life right now. And I'm asking you to be honest with yourself. Is what you're seeing in the mirror turning people on to Jesus or telling them, man, I don't want none of what he's got. Servants at their best practice what they preach publicly. But finally this morning, servants at their best prepare people to be disciples patiently. Look in verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. Earlier we saw the need for spiritual mamas, amen, cherishing others like a mama cherishes their children. But here Paul shows the need for spiritual daddies as well. See, baby Christians do better when they're raised in two-parent churches. You get that? We need spiritual mamas, and we need spiritual daddies too. Typically, it's the mama who does the nurturing, the cherishing, and it's the dad who typically will do the discipline. We need to be cared for. We need to be nurtured, but we also need to be disciplined or discipled because that's what discipline means. Discipline means to be discipled. You see, when your mama and daddy were training you to dress yourself, to clean your room, to help with the housework and to help with the yard work, praise God, they weren't doing that because they were trying to punish you. They were discipling you to become a self-sufficient, decent human being. Christians need that too. Spiritual parents help new Christians obey everything that Jesus commanded. And that kind of discipleship must have a very personal element to it. So I want you to notice that Paul didn't just blow into town and go to the Von Braun Civic Center, preach the gospel, and then bolt. What did he do? He said, you know how we exhorted you, comforted you, and charged every one of you. Every one of you. That word every suggests some one-on-one discipling was going on. Every one of you. Some one-on-one discipling was going on. You see, if you've walked with God for some time, If you're spiritually mature, listen carefully. You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to pour out your life into the life of the next generation. What's happening with today's generation is the old generation is not pouring out their life for the younger generation. I mean, y'all, if we don't do it, who will? No one. So we need to get involved. Get involved in this one-on-one discipleship. We need to get involved in exhorting and comforting and charging. Well, what does that mean, Bill? Well, think about it. Exhorting simply is being an encourager. It's like being a cheerleader, Amen cheerleader does what provides that you can do it attitude what does a cheerleader do a cheerleader helps you believe in yourself that you can do it what about comforting well comforting is kind of like being a nurse you see we all make mistakes amen that's two of you we all make mistakes amen that's more like it we all fall amen we all fall and get bumps and bruises right Well, what does the nurse do? The nurse helps you back to spiritual health. When you fall and you get banged up, the nurse helps you to get back on your feet again. So this one-on-one discipling is about exhorting, being an encourager, and it's also about uh, comforting being like a nurse. But it also involves charging or imploring, if you will. And that's kind of like being a coach. Think about this. What does the coach do? Coach kind of directs your path, but he's also the one that'll give you that kick in the backside when you need it. Amen? Am I right, Coach Naylor? Amen. The coach is going to get after you when you've been slacking. Is that the truth or not, brother? That's the truth. See, new Christians need all three of those elements. Need encouragement. They need comforting, and they need to be charged up every now and then. So it's important to remember this one thing in addition to all that, and that is that true discipleship takes time. All that I've been proposing to you this morning does not occur in a month or a year or in a decade. You might see glimpses of improvement. But you don't get to the end result until a lot of time has passed. Before James Garfield became president of the United States, he was the principal at Hiram College in Ohio. And one dad came to him as principal and asked if a course could be simplified so that his son could get through it faster. And Garfield said, well, sure. It just depends on what you want your son to become. When God wants to make an oak tree, he takes 100 years. When God wants to make a squash, he takes two months. What do you want your boy to be? See, solid discipleship, true discipleship, takes time, and get this, parents, a lot of repetition. Over. And how many times have I told you this before? You ever said that over and over again? How many times have I told you to clean your room? You almost sing it with me. How many times have I told you to put your laundry in the dish? Right? Rinse out your cup. Take your bath. Use soap. discipleship is the same way it takes time it takes a lot of repetition so friend listen if you're going to be a servant at your best you got to get some things right you got to get to the place where you're willing to ask God for the courage to proclaim the gospel proudly but also to perform the ministry purely and I believe that right here at church We provide all different types of avenues for you to connect in ministry. A servant at his best also practices what they preach publicly. But finally, the mature servant at his best is preparing people to become disciples patiently. So consider this, at the end of all of our lives, every human being, including us, is going to be faced with one of two things from God. You're either going to be faced with the wrath of God against sin, or you're going to be facing the grace of God and what he accomplished on the cross for sin. Now, which one other people experience is in large part, at least in part, determined by whether or not you become a servant at your best. Do you want... The eternity of a lost sinner on your account. Let's begin from the the first, and that is, have you received God's grace? Have you received the unmerited favor of God through Christ? Have you received the unconditional forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Have you received his unrivaled freedom from sin that comes through faith in Christ? If you have, that is great news. Are you sharing that same message with other people? Romans 10, 9 says this. And it's important that we under the, understand the context of the verbs that Paul uses. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that verb confess means if you confess daily, you're speaking it over and over again, Jesus is Lord. Not just for repetition's sake, because you, but because you believe it. If you confess daily that, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe, second verb, constantly, you believe constantly that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Y'all, it's just that simple. I want your life. A to Z, Alpha to Omega, beginning and end. So what will it be for you? Wrath? Or grace? And just as importantly, What about your neighbor? Bill, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, it's whoever you run across in the course of your life. Whoever you run across in the path of life, that person's your neighbor. Are you speaking the gospel? Performing the ministry? Practicing what you preach? are you making any disciples see we weren't called to, to save anybody we can't save anybody but God can use us to make disciples and we provide this environment to do just that God provides this environment to do just that so I pray as you look in the mirror of your life wrath or grace and what about your neighbor let me pray for you Father in heaven I pray in the name of Jesus believing right now according to his name that if there is one lost person here today Lord you will save them by your grace if they will just come and receive the gift of God which is eternal life in Christ Jesus believing, trusting professing and Lord I pray for those that that have come to Christ Lord I pray Lord that they will be looking upon their neighbor in a whole different light today because in order to be disciples we've got to be servants at our best and that involves proclaiming the gospel proudly Performing the ministry purely. Practicing what we preach publicly. And preparing people to be disciples very patiently. So Lord, whatever decision needs to be made today, Lord, I pray that it would be made in your name and for your glory alone. But Lord, don't let us walk out the same way we walked in. Your word causes change. So, Lord, I pray that it has caused the change that you desire this morning. In Jesus' name, we all pray. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Let's all stand and sing. Let's stand let's sing.